0: hello and welcome to switzer tv investing i'm peter switzer now we go out every monday on our switzer financial youtube channel and on tonight's show i'll ask michael mccarthy from cmc markets and julia lee from berman invest if we should dump or buy westpac then i'll see if my team like the stocks talked up big time at the son hearts and minds conference on friday in sydney at the sydney opera house we get their hot stocks for the week and these two have been on fire with their tips. We then hear from CEO of Origin Energy, Frank Calabria, and we try to work out if this energy company, which is actually going long renewable energy, is a buy and hold for the long term. And then Dr. John Houston will share his economic crystal ball, and we'll ask him basically should we stay long stocks, or should we be getting it out of the stock market? Guys, thanks for joining us.
1: Thanks for thanks
0: having us. Uh, I had other questions to ask you but Westpac's huge in the news. And I'm sure lots of our viewers are long uh, Westpac for, for, for dividends alone. So what do you think, Julia? Is this a, a dump? Do you dump it? Do you hold it? Or if you haven't got any bank stocks, is it time to buy
1: Look, I think there's two things to consider in terms of Westpac. One is the size of the fine that will be coming through from Ostrak and we don't know that, so Mm. that's an unknown. And then secondly is the reputational damage, and that feeds into client acquisition as well as the loss of current clients. So look, I think the market at the moment is playing around with what the number might be in terms of that Ostrak fine. Dressing the fine. But really what I don't think it's taken into account is perhaps the loss of business that might result Um, because it is a horrific scandal.
0: Yeah, and young people in particular really rate um, social issues very highly when they're selecting the businesses they want to deal with, do not they?
1: Absolutely. I mean, this is completely different from what we've seen with A&P or some of the, the yeah. NAB disasters in the past, where there is that ethical and that ick factor that you really get. The um, icky factor, you the, said to be The early, horrible factor, yeah. yeah. just thinking about the implications of... Um, I guess, the mistakes that Westpac has made. So look, I I think there will be reputational damage, but I think there'll be a real loss of customers there too. Michael?
2: Plummeting at the moment, Peter. Down another 1.3% today. That's 8% in four trading sessions. Mm This is a stock under pressure. And, of course, we don't know what the solution will be. There's fines to be counted. There'll be additional costs because it's very clear that there'll be more staff required to deal with these issues. And Westpac have already told the market they're going to hire another 200 on top of the 750 they've already got looking at the regulatory issues affecting the bank. So Mm -hmm. this is a permanent change to the bottom line for Westpac. I don't think the fall's over yet, Peter, and I think those people who took up the shares in the placement just a couple of weeks ago at $25.30, looking at a share price below $24.50, And I think they'll be very pleased. Uh,
1: And I guess the market does have a tendency to overreact. But at this point in time, we don't know what the impacts are going to be. So until the market gets a better idea of how to price the impacts of the fine as well as the cost of um, uh, fixing the systems and then the loss of customers, we'll continue to see that uncertainty weighing on the share price.
0: Okay. Now, on Friday, I went to the the SON Hearts and Minds Conference uh, Sydney Opera House. It's a, a, great, a great event. And for the people out there who've never been there, it's a chance for, apart from listening to guys like Rory Dalio and Howard Marks who are legendary investors, um, well-known fund managers pitch their, their best ideas. And so I thought I'd I took the local ones that I think our people would be interested in and asked you, you hotshots, what do you think about <laughs> those particular stocks. So the first one was, minimal resources, and the analysts believe there's like a 10.6% upside at this point in time. What do you think?
1: Well, if you drill down to mineral resources and what it does, it does mining services in terms of crushing volumes, mm. and then it's exposed to iron ore and lithium. In terms of iron ore, it's a higher cost producer, so it probably wouldn't be my favourite pick in terms of the iron ore miners. Mm. I'd probably prefer something like Fortescue with that higher mm. dividend yield um, and the mm. lowest, lower cost of production. And then we know that lithium is still going to be difficult probably for at least in the next 12 months ahead. Mm. So the ca- crushing volumes, they've been quite impressive, but when you have a look at mineral Resources. They made their investment and they bought their equipment in this area at a time when costs were relatively high and costs have come down in this area. So look, probably not my favourite stock. I could see where there's 10% upside if we continue to see the iron ore price yeah. uh, move back up and be well supported. But it wouldn't be my favourite yeah. stock in what this What about space? the fact
0: that they are a little bit diversified, that they have services as well as you know, being in the business of digging stuff up?
1: Yeah, I mean, I I like the management team and I like the track record of this company, but I just don't think market dynamics are moving in the favour Mm. of uh, the the type of businesses that it has. Michael?
2: On valuation, I think you could have a good look at um, mineral resources. Mm. Um, That portfolio approach could also serve well over the longer term. Lithium stocks, as we know, have been under pressure. They've also got the manganese exposures. So there's potential kickers across this business. And of course, we do get an uptick in activity in response to a higher iron ore price and steel prices in China are up again today. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it is a good leveraged exposure to it. And that's what I like about it from a trading point of view. It's a leveraged exposure to iron ore.
0: Okay. And also, if we get a trade deal happening and there's a belief in that the global economy will improve in 2020, 2021, is that going to be good for mining stocks generally?
1: Absolutely. And I think in particular the the iron ore component of it because it's leveraged to global growth. Yep. But probably my more favourite um, mining company that came up during the con. Uh, the the conference is NIC. Mm. Um, and look, nickel prices have been doing relatively well because of Indonesian export bans once again. And from 1st of January, Indonesia once again planning to uh, uh, not allow the export of nickel. And they're trying to encourage um, higher uh, value products to be manufactured in that country. So mm. look, I think NIC will be doing well. It's starting to ramp up. Um, and I think that one will be a winner.
2: Okay, Nick? Yeah, I think so. Um, I'd be very selective in the commodity space. For example, in oil, we know we've got a dynamic where the very agile swing producers in the US can kick into play whenever we see a rise in oil prices, mm. and that's likely the cap gains in, in oil markets for years to come. Uranium is a similar situation. Uranium is very easy to mine. There's a lot of it that's still uh, in the ground. So, uh, But on a case-by-case basis, I like iron ore, I like nickel, I like copper.
0: Okay. What about uh, A2? Uh, were both of you on A2's... Um, <laughs> Um, um, bandwagon last week. I don't know.
1: I think A2 Milk is the, the stock I've made the most money you're out yeah. of ever. Yeah. You've been talking about for a long time. Yeah. You, you <laughs> jumped on. I jumped on at twelve dollars. <laughs> yeah. Goodness, yeah. Thank and, Goodness, and so, I did. So great work.
0: So, uh, and so <laughs> poor Rickard and Charlie liked it as well. It was all A2. and At least we got the right, the right uh, company at the right time. So that also Junbei Lu from Tribeca still thinks there's a lot of upside in A2. Now. Julia, what do you
1: think? I think it's a short-term versus longer-term story. And I believe in the longer-term story that this is going to be a global dairy powerhouse. It's not only moving into China, but also the US story uh, continues to grow gain traction. I don't see a huge amount of upside in A2 in the shorter term because I think things are quite competitive in this space Mm. and I think that will mean that A2 Milk will need to spend more money in order to make money. Mm. Margins have been just slightly below my expectations here, Mm. but look, I think this is a good one to continue to hold for the longer term
2: portfolio. A2 have done an extraordinary job of differentiating their product. Mm. Now, I don't know the science behind A1 and A2 proteins. Gee, in the that's world. bad. And and the regulators have been uh, very strict with A2 about what it can say, mm. given the lack of scientific evidence around this. But that differentiation appears to work. And given the fact that this is a pure food play, I think Australian and New Zealand food producers are great long-term plays for that reason. Mm. Yeah, I think A2 on a pullback at any time is yeah. worth a look.
0: I asked June, June Baloo after the conference, uh, and she apparently topped it last year with yeah, oriental education. Oriental Education, yeah, education that was yeah. a huge one. Yeah, uh, but I said, well, I'm worried about the fact that a Chinese company has bought Bellamy's. Could China play hardball with A2? And she said, A, they've got licences, B, they're sold in a lot of the milk shops. Like, more milk is sold offline in shops than online in, in China as well. And she said also, she is something that she understood better than me, she said, China's a big place. And this one company doesn't really take the whole Chinese market. 0 2 has the potential to reach out to that market over time.
1: Yeah, and look, I think valuations are well supported because of that China takeover activity. Today, once again, we saw that company that's making that uh, bid for Bellamy make a bid for some of the lion assets, so the yeah. dairy assets here in Australia. So it looks like they're in a, on a bit of a shopping spree in terms yeah. of those dairy assets. All
0: right, now, uh While we're there, Jeff Wilson sort of played a sort of MC type role. Uh, and he threw in AMA. I didn't want to ignore it. I looked it up. The analysts like it. 23% upside the analysts believe. But you you have your view on analysts because we're your one as well. But what do you think, AMA?
1: Look, I think this one, I really look at it in terms of short-term versus long-term. And the reason I look at it in terms of short-term versus long-term is that that I think the market's going to look completely different in 10, 15 years' Mm. time. In the short-term, AMA, it's, um, I guess, an amalgamator, anything that has to do with the Mm. after-car market. It's it's,
0: it's the largest
1: um, car repairer in Mm. Australia, an accident. Car repair in Australia, but look, their growth has really been through acquisitions mm. and it's a fragmented market, so they've been having a lot of wins on the board. Yep. But I think when electric vehicles come through, most of the maintenance is going to be done through software updates. Um, and there's going to be very little in terms of, of car maintenance. So, short term,
0: okay, long term,
2: question. Long term,
1: I think there's going to be structural changes that will hit quite hard in this area.
2: Okay. Yeah, I'm going to go a slightly different way on this one. Because uh, you're a rev
0: head aren't you? You, you love, your, <laughs> I, love I love their alloy bull bars. Yeah. Come on. Yeah, that stuff is
2: fantastic. And it's brilliantly positioned yeah. because it is protective gear, it is needed, it's got a reputation for strength. That's good news in this mm. space. And it looks great on the front of the car. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, I think they've cherry picked the aftercar market very well. Yeah. I think they know this business very well. They know what's profitable and what's not. And with so many of the major uh, car producers pulling out of Australia, I think there's plenty of room for them to move. I like this one.
0: Okay. And what was that company that used to be the bloke's car company, the bull bars and all that sort Bab-core? of stuff? Babcor? No, not Babcor. a Queensland company. I remember Roger Montgomery should talk about it all the time about five or six years ago. Oh, no. We will have to do some research we'll on that one, that one, guys. Right. All right. So, um, so we've and, uh, also, have you got a view on Origin? I'm interviewing the CEO of Origin coming up.
1: What do you think? I think my favourite stock in that space is still Santos at the moment. Um, it's but you're it a had some seeker. real, real wins on the board. Look, I'm looking for a reliable
0: company with a good dividend.
1: Yeah, Origin doesn't look bad. I mean if you're looking for a reliable company with stable dividends, you're probably going to look outside of the energy space because Mm. it is an exciting area. But having said that, you know, LNG pricing Mm. is looking quite good. The LNG project that Mm. um, Origin has, it's been doing quite well. And look, they have a target of about 30 to 50% payout on uh, cash flows. Mm. And it's probably going to be at the higher end of that. So given the strength that we've seen in LNG pricing, and that business is doing well, you're probably going to see a decent yield okay. coming through. all right. Now,
0: I should say to our viewers that um, we have our Switzer Small and Microcap conference coming up next Tuesday at City Tats in Sydney. Uh, so it's December 3, between 9 and 2. And Julia Lee is going to be there live telling us how she picks these small and micro-cap companies. So, Julia, I'm really looking forward to that.
1: Yeah, I've got my presentation ready and some stock tips ready to go, so quite excited.
0: Superb, superb. Now, Michael, have I left you out because... I couldn't fit two people you in. You know he's too busy. <laughs> he's a busy man. And next year, I'm like, it's
1: you. fine, Peter. It's fine. <laughs> it's fine.
0: And next, next year, yeah, and, and by the way, you know, I, I have been sometimes criticised hanging out around blokes and suits all the time, so she'll get me out of jail in that respect. Story of my life. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so that's Julia Lee uh, at the Microcap Conference next week. Mac, any other stock that you like that you haven't mentioned today?
2: Yeah, Salt Patterson. Now, you know I've got a bit of a contrarian streak. Right mm, now, this yeah. stock is well down yeah. at around twenty-two dollars. Right? It is, and remember the key sort of cross shareholding here with brickworks. They each have 40% yeah. of each other. And now, Mark
0: Carnegie tried to chase that one for a while, didn't He, he, he? did, and he lost, right?
2: Yeah. These Mr. Milner and his team know exactly what they're doing. They've got forty percent of brickworks. Brickworks is trading at all time highs. Yeah. Now you've got there are reasons why it's down and one of them is the coal exposure. Yeah. That's very unpopular at the moment. Yeah. I suggest these things are cyclical. The idea that we're going to get out of coal anytime in the next 10 mm. years is I think nuts. Uh, And I think there are other very interesting businesses. But most importantly, they've proven again and again that they are extraordinary investors. Mm. And for those of us who sometimes have trouble identifying the right opportunities. Backing a strong management team, a strong investing team mm. is a good idea. With a depressed share price, I think Salt Patterson should be on the radar. Yeah. Julie, do you have another one?
1: Uh, I like Credit Corp at the moment. Look, yeah. this is one that buys debt ledgers, so distressed debt ledgers from mainly the big four banks. About eighty mm. percent come from big four banks and financial yeah. companies. But what I like about Credit Corp at this point in time is its expansion to the U.S., where it's got yeah. its names on the books of the major U.S. banks, and the U.S. market is ten times the size of the Australian. market. So at a time when you're seeing extra competitiveness in terms of the Australian market and um, uh, I guess a smaller size in terms of the Australian market I really like that diversity. Does a company like
0: that do better when the you know what hits the fan and the economy and a lot of people Aren't making their payments and therefore the banks sell off their debts to the credit court and they, they then try and get the money back?
1: Well, it depends on what price they buy those ledgers for and mm. then how much they recoup mm. of their funds. So for me, it has to do with what they price, so price discipline, and yep. it also has to do with the unemployment rate, so yep. um, something like that is an indicator of whether someone can repay the loans, because the other 20% is utility and telecom type companies.
0: Okay, fantastic. Malcolm McCarthy, CMC Markets, Julia Lee, the Invest, thanks very much for joining us. Thanks,
1: thanks Peter. Peter.
0: At a time when energy stories are always in the news, it's really relevant that we catch up with Frank Calabria, the CEO of Origin Energy. Well, Frank, thanks for joining us. No, good to be here, Pat. So Origin delivered a fairly strong result uh, for year. So what is the picture for 2020?
3: Yeah, so we've got uh, for 2020 where we've got a few things going on. We've got two strong cash flow generating businesses right now, integrated mm. gas business and energy markets. Uh, this year, we look to actually increase production um, at our APLNG venture. Mm. Uh, we're getting really moving our energy supply that's changing to this rapidly changing world with renewables coming in. Yeah. And the third thing is we're really improving customer experience and uh, responding to the re-regulation of tariffs mm. through uh, cost out. So we're looking to deliver that in our retail business. Okay. So, so Frank, tell us what Origin does now. Yeah, sure. So Origins are uh, really an energy business that operates right across the value chain. Mm. Uh, we produce gas, uh, we export that and sell that within Australia. Uh, we have over 4 million customers for electricity, natural gas, LPG, and also solar. Mm. Um, and we actually produce a lot of that energy through renewables, coal, gas, fired generation. So mm. we certainly operate right across the chain.
0: Yeah. And, and over time, will renewables be a much more... Um, reliable and giving input to the, the whole electrical and energy scene. Well renewables
3: is rapidly growing and Mm. in fact last year there was a significant amount of new renewables coming in Mm. uh, to supply energy. Uh, Solar and wind are the two principal forms that really provide that. Mm. But one of the features associated with those two forms of energy is that they rely on both wind and sun respectively and as a result there's also a need for them to be supported by other forms of generation that can respond when they're not available. And so the combination of those things will be reliable, but it does require those other forms of generation. That'll mm. be fast start gas, pumped hydro, and clearly longer term, there will also be the role that batteries will play.
0: Yeah.
3: But yes, it's that combination that needs to, to be mm. brought together to make it reliable and secure.
0: Now, that is the is hard question, but if anyone can answer it, it would be you. How long do you reckon before batteries become... Yeah, a valuable contributor.
3: Yeah, they're 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 an early days contributor now. When we look at the cost curve of those batteries, Mm -hmm. they're coming down. And just like 10 years ago we saw the solar cost and now we see it today. It's come down dramatically. Um, We see a lot of those cost curves. We really do think it'll be over that sort of next three to five years that Mm -hmm. you'll see it coming in. Mm -hmm. Uh, But really the role batteries play is that they really move energy around and they, are, they really discharge reasonably rapidly. I mean, we're talking hours, not um, days and, and weeks. So they'll be part of the solution, but they won't be the only solution that come alongside those renewables. Okay.
0: Now you reinstated dividends. Um, yeah. So what does this mean for shareholders going forward? Yeah, it's a good time for us. I mean, for the
3: last, uh, we've only reinstated them in the last 12 months. Mm. We've been reducing debt over the last several years, and I think we've reduced debt by close on 3 billion for the, over the last three years. Uh, so, we uh, introduced dividends this year, 25 cents a share overall, mm. uh, and we've announced a distribution policy uh, about 30% to 50% of our free cash flow. Um, and we look to be able to pay at the high end of that range. So, uh, it's a good
0: outlook for dividends for shareholders. Okay. This seems like a tricky question, but what are the risks to your business as government intervention you know, to the industry obviously increases?
3: Yeah, I think. We'll, in our industry, like in many other industries which are subject to regulation, we're working with governments all of the time. Mm, yeah. uh, governments have actually got involved more recently to address particular aspects of the industry and we work productively with them on this. I think the key thing for us going forward now is that they're underwriting investment, they're directly investing, like in Snowy 2.0, yeah. they're underwriting some of the more generation investment. The key aspect for us is the coordination of that so that it actually comes together for the best outcome for customers. Mm. And for us, the main thing is that we actually therefore get the right supply of energy at the right time that brings affordable, reliable energy Mm. to our customers. Mm.
0: It seems like an unbelievably complex job because there's so many moving parts. Of course, you've got political demands and, and customer demands at the same time. Yeah, I think
3: really our focus really starts with the customer because mm. you really must produce good outcomes, and customers are looking for affordable energy. Yeah. They want reliable supply over hot summers, mm. and at the same time, they're looking for a trajectory over time where they would like to see emissions reduce. Mm. It's that combination that creates the complexity with those various technologies coming in. Mm. But I really, with a firm sight on customers, I think that's where it, where it all starts, and then it's up for us and governments and other regulators to come together to produce those outcomes.
0: Yeah, okay. So how are you positioning the company, Origin, for uh, the changing energy market? Yeah, well,
3: first we've highlighted that change um, Mm. earlier uh, Mm. and we're positioning the strategy and the direction of the company to really thrive in that future changing world and that Mm. probably comes down to um, a few key areas. Firstly, growing the amount of renewable energy we bring into our Mm. portfolio. Mm. We've certainly grown that dramatically over the last several years and by... Next, by the end of 2020, we'd have 25% of our capacity renewables. Mm. We have to continue to make sure we run our existing fleet of generation assets. For that reliability, um, we have to actually get that right. And so that's what we're really focused on, making sure we manage that transition. The second thing is that gas plays an increasing role. It plays an increasing role for electricity, but also exporting gas to Asia is actually displacing coal and improving emissions. Mm. And we will grow production um, over the course of the time with APLNG um, and continue to deliver outcomes and we'll be exploring for more gas, including in the Beetaloo and Northern Territory. Mm. And the last thing really is that you'll know every day the way people are interacting with energy and the empowerment of that. Really the, as that becomes more, whether it's a battery in your home or you've got solar PV and increasingly the digital world is changing that, we're really investing in those technologies to make sure we can change that customer experience. Mm. We see those as the key three sort of themes across the, the future energy world that we're mm. positioning ourselves for.
0: Okay, so talking about the Betaloo Basin. Yeah. So, what are you expecting to find?
3: Yeah, well, we're excited to be back because there's been a moratorium and following a scientific inquiry, which we were pleased to see the outcomes have supported us back. And we're mm. back now drilling two wells, uh, two large horizontal wells. Uh, we've actually what they call spudded, so we've commenced the drilling in October of the first well. Mm. Um, And this is a vast area, just to be clear. It's Mm. sort of eight and a half thousand square kilometres. So we're talking about a vast area. So the prospects are are significant, but there's a wide range of those outcomes when you would do exploration. Uh, So we'll uh, know the first results of the first well by um, the last quarter of this financial year 20. Mm. Um, It's early days, uh, because of those wide range of outcomes. So uh, in terms of talking production, Uh, But the reason why it's received some attention is really the vast nature of it and Mm -hmm. and, and we're producing what they call liquids rich wells, Mm -hmm. which go to uh, really the economics of actually producing gas at a cheaper price because you get the benefit of those. Mm -hmm. And the prospect of that is that we're bringing cheaper gas into
0: the the domestic market. Do we know how much gas is there or is it purely speculation that there could be fantastic surprises Yeah, decade after decade. We don't know
3: exactly because this is always the subsurface science. Mm. Um, we did drill a well prior to the moratorium that showed even in one small area there was um, we reported to regulators at that, that time we saw over 6 TCF of gas which is a significant amount of gas. Mm. Um, so the prospects are very um, large for this uh, but no one exactly knows which is why you do this drilling mm. and the key aspect with this is also it has the prospect of liquids by that I mean um, uh, petroleum liquids that would come out of the wells as well. Mm. So that's, um, that's one of the great opportunities with this.
0: Mm. It's really exciting. Yeah, it is exciting yeah. and we're looking forward to it. Yeah. Yeah. Frank, thanks for joining us. Thank you very much, Peter. That's Frank Calabria from Origin Energy. John, thanks for joining us. Pleasure. As, Peter, now, as always, Peter. <laughs> well, I, I want to catch up with you because there are so many economic issues out there that people care about yeah. and, and are afraid about. So let's start with a, with a bit really big one first. Why are interest rates seemingly working to get the economy going again?
4: Well, I think there are a lot of explanations. I mean, obviously, you know, people say when you get down so low hmm. that they don't have the same impact they have when you're starting at a much higher base and lowering hmm. them. Then, and that's true, um, but there are a lot of other factors, I think, that are bearing on, on the capacity of households to spend. Mm. I mean, we are record debt, 200% of GDP, uh, 200% of household disposable income, about 120% of GDP. Mm. They're really struggling with that. And then the cost of living elements, which they, you know, there was that finder.com survey a few, uh, couple of months ago, said something like 5.9 million Australians live from payday to payday. Mm you because they can't find the cash, the free cash, to meet the ever-rising cost of living. And as you know, those key elements like power prices or childcare costs or medical insurance costs, uh, uh, housing. Uh, they're rising faster than the measured CPI, so and wages are flat. Mm. Uh, so, you know, the, the, the environment is, is, is difficult for people to have any capacity to spend at all. Mm. And if you give them a break in terms of a bit more cash in their pocket, they're inclined to pay down their debt rather than to spend. Okay. They don't save savings at back pre, pre-GFC levels, so a mm. lot of reasons, yeah. but um, I don't think economists, you, know, you or me, understand the impact, the full impact of negative interest
0: rates. Yeah. And, and, but also, John, because people are taking these interest rate cuts and effectively paying off their loan faster mm. than... Are we looking at a real-life example of something that, that you and I taught, the paradox of thrift?
4: Yeah, <laughs> To some extent, yes. I mean, I, it's funny. The other day I re, re, was reminded of the fact that when I was a graduate student mm. at Johns Hopkins, uh, we were all building macro models, you know, and solving the world's problems, yeah, yeah. general equilibrium yeah. models. That's what we, we thought you were so smart. And, we, you know, it was interesting stuff. But, I mean, one of my colleagues built a model which basically implied a period of negative interest rates. Yeah. We had some of the top macro international monetary economists in the world there. Mm. And they threw that thesis out on the basis that it was inconceivable that you could have a <laughs> negative interest rate for a long period of time, right? Yeah. And nobody and really, yeah, now look at twenty-five percent of sovereign debt at negative, yeah. out beyond ten years, mm. and you think to yourself, you know, how do you disengage and how did you get there? And mm. then how do you disengage from that? And the changes in behavior associated with that sort of monetary policy mm have never existed in the past. No history to draw.
0: Well, three or four years ago, when you and I were on my my old Sky Mm. Business program, you were arguing and canvassing the view that the Reserve Bank should have cut interest rates more aggressively then, Mm. rather than hang on as they did. And I was was prosecuting them, but not prosecuting them as hard as you were Mm. uh, for the same thing. So do you think if we actually had cut interest rates and got growth going, we may well be in a different situation, or are all economies in the same boat?
4: Uh, well, we have a global you know, period of flat activity, it's, it certainly is a global downturn, and it's synchronised, which mm. is another layer of, of difficulty for most of the developed world. Mm. And some of the emerging nations that in the past have pulled us out uh, are not performing very well, mm. and that includes China yeah. and India, uh, as well as uh, some of the others. But, so, but um, the,
0: the beast of burden's too tired.
4: Well, it's, 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 and there hasn't been any structural reform in most countries for a decade or two. Yep. You know, we had the big productivity boosts in the 90s, which we haven't had since. And productivity, national productivity, here's a major is a major mm-hmm. issue. But one of the things that people forget is they look today and say, "Oh, look, the Reserve Bank says we've got to stimulate more." But what about lags? I mean, we used to teach 12, or 18 month lags. That's right. I, that l- I learned the transmission you should have done mechanism it 12, from you. 18 months yeah. ago. Yeah. If you want to have the
0: impact today. So you're saying that these cuts may well work in 12 months' time, but at the moment. Well, they may not of it, because yeah. of the other factors. Other factors, yeah. But,
4: um, you know, having, having said that, uh, and, you know, it's so easy to say, oh, you know, bring ca- tax cuts forward or increase infrastructure spending. Hmm. In our system, that is difficult to do. Hmm. And it doesn't have the immediate effects that they're going to need because, yeah. I mean, the growth is flat.
0: And another thing you talked about when I was a young man and you were <laughs> older than me uh, <laughs> was <laughs> you, you actually, you, you linked deregulation of the financial system and microeconomic reform of industry and taking down mm. protection to globalisation, which all kind of started around the same mm. late 80s, early 1990s. Mm. And so, and then you're showing this digital disruption, mm. structurally, economies are changing like never before, aren't but they, John?
4: They are. See, and this is uncharted waters, which while it brings a lot of opportunity, mm-hmm. and there's no doubt about that, if you flee to foot, there's a lot of opportunity. Yeah. But equally, it's quite disruptive in the sense that people get quite cautious. I mean, the number of people who are sitting heavily in cash these days, for example, in the investment community is surprising. You Mm. see Buffett, uh, what, he's got $150 or whatever his number is, Mm. in various companies in cash, Mm. partly because he can't find anything to buy, Mm. and partly because he is conservative, Mm. and he sees that there must be some sort of correction at some point. Mm. Not to say the market won't go up another, you know, Digits, you know, 20 or 30% maybe, mm. as you're, you've been saying, quoting people saying. Yes, right. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry I thought <laughs> I said that.
0: somebody actually wrote today say, it wasn't me, but yeah. go on. But,
4: but, you know, you can see that there are arguments that people can mount to say, look, it might just keep going because mm. there isn't any alternative. Yeah, interest rates are so low. And interest rates are so low and, and people will find a way to mobilise that to effective investment yeah. and some of the tech stocks will really be successful and so on. But, um, you know, having said that... Uh, a, a prudent investor will say, look, let's have a realistic assessment of the risks. Mm. The probability that the market is overvalued is is real. Mm. The bond market's been giving us some some clear indication yep. for a long period of inverted yield curve. I mean, it's a little, it's reversed now, but mm. that's traditionally been a clear sign of a, of a recession within, you know, two years, let's say, 15, 18 yep. months to two years. Yep. Uh, and, um, you know, uh, we know that the policy authorities really don't have a lot of fiscal capacity. Mm. They certainly don't have any monetary capacity. So the world may mm. may pick up, the stock market may grow, but they're big mays mm. in a world which is saying that probably not.
0: Yeah, well, we know you're the greatest tax uh, mind in the world, John. But one area where a lot of people don't know is that You've had a fair bit of experience in property as well, mm. you, you saw the property price boom. Mm. You saw the prices go off the boil, mm. and, and one of your former appointees, Steve Keane, was tipping a forty percent house price fall, which he hasn't got yet. And he, he tipped in '09. And no, I think Steve lives. Hopefully, he lives long enough that that'll eventually happen. <laughs> but I don't know how many mountains he's going to climb between now and then. <laughs> but we, we know he's smart. But he's, he certainly got that one wrong. Yeah. And one day he might be, be right. Be cool. Yeah. Yeah, but. What do you think about the, the latest that, the latest call that came from, I think, Louis Christopher last week, house prices are going to rebound 20% next year. Can you believe the volatility in house prices? Yeah, look, the volatility is, is, is a manifestation
4: of the unpredictability. I mean, mm. the, the people want them to go back up, mm. even though it means that as a social issue, housing affordability is going to be even... Great. I mean, I was reminded recently I used to write about the coming housing crisis in the 1980s. <laughs> well, we've had a couple of decades since of really bad policy yeah. at state and federal level. Yeah. And nobody really addressing the is issue of housing. It's a supply housing. crisis rather than a price crisis. It's a supply crisis which yeah. has impacted on the price. And of course, yeah. it's been compounded when you've had periods of foreign, strong foreign demand, yeah. periods of strong um, investor demand, yeah. both of which have come out of the market now. Uh, so, um, you know, look, I think in the current market we've seen a bit of a pick-up in prices. I don't know how real that is, mm. uh, in that the uh, properties on the market are down about, I don't know the number, 30% thereabouts. Mm. So you're getting uh, good auction clearances on a much smaller market. Yeah. Um, I don't know whether you can read a sustainable increase in that or whether that's just a, those who miss uh, want to get in and, you know, hope that they can hang on. Yeah. But we know from the Royal Commission Banking Royal Commission that a lot of people were lent a lot more money than they could afford. Mm. And That's showing up really uh, in the in the uh, attitude to the housing sector. Of course, you've got some in negative equity. You've got some in mortgage stress. We never get real numbers on those two things, but yeah. they must have happened and mm. they must be significant in mm. some parts of the country. And probably explains
0: why why consumption's
4: down as well. And all these mm. things come together to say no wonder the consumption's flat. Yeah, and people aren't saving mm. and they're not confident about the future. And uh, retail is in recession. Mm. Uh, you know, so there are these factors that are there that you say to you, well, 20% increase in house prices is a big call in that world. Mm. Oh, yeah, most just, definitely.
0: Yeah. So, we, But you, you're on boards of businesses and stuff like that. Are you telling the businesses that you're on the board of, you better pull your your, your horns in now, there could be a recession no, just well around I, the corner? Yeah, you know, I was
4: thinking back the other day. For the last several years, I've done a monthly survey on what the Reserve Bank's going to do with interest rates. Mm. It's the next next change is going to be up or down. Mm. And for most of that period I consistently said it would be down. Mm. And there were periods where people were very strongly of the view, it must go up, it would go up, they definitely put up. I never thought they would. Uh, Equally I've never been convinced that they'd go to negative either. They've gone closer to negative than I ever imagined. The governor was one of our students at <laughs> New South Wales. You I can take <laughs> responsibility. Yeah. Well, like, yeah, <laughs> gave no, I think he's actually first-class first and a university yeah. medal. But, yeah, you know, I think it's pretty Now smart. I'm just wondering, you know, but then, but what's uh, he uh, going to do?
0: But as we've already implied, yeah. this economy is structurally changing, and, and you went through periods mm. of structural change. When, That's right. Yeah, you know, when they were taking the protection. Well, the deregulation financial system
4: did precipitate those structural changes. Yeah. called into
0: into into
4: a question centralised wage determination, mm-hmm. high levels of protection, failed yeah. micro performance, you know, Mm. need of desperate micro-reform, resulted in a tremendous increase in productivity and then nothing. Mm. We haven't had another layer of structural reform. We don't, we talk about infrastructure, we should have an infrastructure boom. Mm. I mean, when when we're a triple A rated country Mm. and interest rates are as low as they are, we could buy, we could borrow 30 to 50 year money Mm. uh, today Mm. at less than 2% uh, that, um, and we'd get, Tens of billions of dollars, not hundreds of billions of dollars, if we wanted to, from central banks, sovereign wealth funds, insurance, pension super, uh, Asian funds, looking for those sort of, mm. those uh, sort of <coughs> um, longer-term, uh, s- sustainable investments. Mm. Uh, we couldn't let that go into the government. Of course, you'd have to manage that separately, and you'd have to have proper assessment of, of um, you know, of projects and the ranking of projects. But we could accelerate that process. And I think, in a structural sense, taking a longer-term view about the next wave of productivity growth, mm. that's got to be underwritten mm. by something like that. It's not going to be underwritten by a bit of you know twisting of the interest rate structure even more, because mm. that's not going to work.
0: Okay, I'm going to ask you a question because you've got sons. You How many daughters have you got? Two. Two, two daughters. Oh, t four altogether. Four. Okay, and, yeah. you got, and you've, got, you've got two sons, at yeah? home, I think. And, and you, you've got grandchildren now, of course. Yes. Yeah. They come to you and say or whatever they call you, or dad, um, should I stay in the stock market now or should I just hang out and wait for the market to crash and start building up quality assets then? A, what would you say, and B, how long do you think they have to wait? Well, it's a very
4: difficult question, as you know better than anybody else, Mm. because um, I I guess value stocks have underperformed dramatically Mm. compared to where we might have thought they'd be in this sort of world. Mm. Growth stocks have somehow mm. managed to struggle on, mm. and yet there is a lot of value sitting there. Mm. So within the stock market, there are going to be choices that are worth backing. There's mm. no doubt about that. But within the context, perhaps of the market as a whole will correct mm. sometime in the next twelve or eighteen months. You'd have mm. to say whether, you know. I, I've so you say
0: you say your, your your loved ones maybe it's a good idea well to wait, I'd, save, I'd, and wait for. I've been
4: in the funds that I influence. I've been sitting pretty much more conservatively towards cash. Mm. Uh, with some mixture of of assets, but the market, I think, is overvalued and will go down. Mm. Uh, It's just a question of of when. The difficulty is that, you know, I've been saying now for a couple of years, I think 2020 is going to be a a bellwether year, in the sense that, you know, a lot of these economic uncertainties really do come to a head. Whether or not we get a trade deal with China and the US and America, that helps for a while, Mm. but realistically, it ain't going to make too much long-term difference, I don't think. Uh, in terms of the relativities of those two economies t- today. Mm. Uh, so um, that may that may help, but you've got a massive number of geopolitical tensions and you've got Trump, mm. who tweets one day up and then the market goes up and the one day down and the market goes yeah. down. And how the hell do you know? I suspect that he'll be under real pressure in 2020, may not get re-elected. Mm. Then what do you do? Start again with rebuilding, you know, making America even greater again.
0: Yeah. <laughs> um, but, but, the, but the Democrats are just as um, oh, anti-free trade as well, aren't they?
4: They are hopelessly disorganised. Yeah. The one thing you might say in political terms that Trump's been cleverly able to do is push the Democrats so far to the left, they might even fall off. <laughs> <That's what laughs> earth. You know, because he has... The earth is flat it. to look them. At, <laughs> look at the, some of the, the democratic policies that are getting attention. Now, some of them are, in social terms, like in the self- health sector, hmm. desperately needed. Hmm. But you know, talking about wealth taxes, and it's just going to change the whole world Mm. uh, from where it is today. Mm. Even though inequality in the U.S. is a bigger issue than it is in a lot of Mm. other countries, I mean, I do think that um, you don't get a clearly a clear consistent policy position on anyone in in any of those Democrats. Mm. Uh, I think the top three are still polling better than Trump, but you know. You look at those three and you think, mm, yeah.
3: maybe, maybe, right. maybe the world's not ready for this That's yet. Right. Start, so, you know, it's, it's, just, it's
4: so hard to read the political scene. It's so hard to read the economic scene. And all the 50 years I've been at this, I don't think it's been, it's ever been more difficult than it is today mm. to say how these factors are going to unfold.
0: Okay. One last one, uh, and you've alluded to it already, if, if you're a Josh Frydenberg, I'm actually having coffee with him on Thursday, so I'll give him your advice. Yeah, please give him a go. (laughs) Would you suggest that he needs to do something uh, to try and make this economy grow faster? If so, what would you
4: recommend? He he has to do something because he's got himself in a position where a bit like Howard got, you know, I won't do this, I won't do this, I won't do this, and in the end it gets too big an issue and Mm. you you lose government. Mm. Um, he's got to do something, as we mentioned before, with lags. He's, they should have done it 18 months ago, yeah. not now. Yeah. Bringing tax cuts forward, they may not spend them. Um, no doubt that some spending items like Start would stimulate yeah. some spending. Yeah. And they, I think you should look fairly carefully at the structure of government spending from that, that point of view. Infrastructure projects, you won't have an immediate effect because we don't prove things very quickly in this country and, mm. and they're not funded, they've got to be funded. That's what I suggested, an, an Australian infrastructure bond which would really, you know, kick mm-hmm. that off and yeah. you could change the, the story, yeah. you change the narrative, you get the narrative changed, you might stimulate a bit more constructive risk-taking activity. But in the near term, there's not a lot they can do. I mean, pushing interest rates lower won't do much bringing the tax cut forward may help but look, we've had what this is a number 13 billion dollars more put into the yeah, system yeah. and it's had no effect mm. no visible effect yet may have down the track but i think but the they're consumers usually, they're not usually fast
0: workers tax cuts aren't they they're usually fast want, workers
4: you, you can you know if you target if you if you, if you did a, some of these investment allowance proposals that are around that you actually spend the money to get the benefit yeah that will work mm. Um, but you know the government's sort of locked into not only one surplus but ten years of surpluses yeah. they won't do that mm. they uh, once you get into the early 2020s I mean the, the numbers run away on them the capacity to deliver surpluses in a world where you, you're going to have to increase the tax burden in order to fund infrastructure fund fund NDIs uh, fund uh, the tax cuts uh, fund education health commitments that are mm. made, made, made going out and defense of course big numbers in the 2020s. So realistically the whole narrative has to change. So my advice to him would be do a, a complete rethink of that narrative and start preparing people for longer term structural reform with a few initial measures that you can hopefully stimulate activity. John, thank, thank for you for